Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This is episode 14 and I'm, I'm just amazed that we're already here on episode 14. I swear it seems like it's only been about two weeks since we started. But uh, 14 weeks and still going. When I started this podcast and was telling my wife about it, she said, well, how many episodes do you plan to do? And I said, I don't know, maybe 500. And I think she was somewhat shocked by that. Who knows? Maybe we will make it all the way to 500. But here we are at episode 14. Now, the topic for today's episode was suggested to me by a member of the audience, I'm getting emails pretty regularly from people who are listening to the podcast. And thank you to everyone who has written in because this is sort of a one-way process. I record it. I put it up. I can see that people are downloading it. I can see the download counts and I can see the number of feed hits and the web page uh, hits. I can tell if they're, you know, how many people go to the show notes page, but I don't hear, you know, I don't hear from most people. I hear from some people. I mean, let's say out of a hundred listeners, I might get one email. I don't know that I could handle, you know, you know, 10,000 emails a day, but I do want to hear from you. If, if you, if you're listening to an episode and you've got something to tell me, just send me an email. And as I've, I think I've said before, just go to bradleylaird.com. And at the very top of the page, you'll see a a menu choice called Contact. Hit that, and you'll find my email, and send me an email. If you've got suggested topics that you want me to, you know, prattle on about, I will be happy to uh, take your ideas into consideration. And today, I'm going to do exactly that. I've got some other topics already lined up. I've got some interviews coming. There's some good stuff coming in the future, but this guy sent me an email and suggested something that I think would be really helpful, especially for beginners. And here's basically what he said. Is it a good idea to bounce around through all the different instruments? Basically, he was saying, you know, when he started out, he was, you know, playing, I'm paraphrasing here, playing the banjo. Then he took up the guitar, then the mandolin, then the bass, then the fiddle, and dobro and all this stuff. So is that a good thing? Or a bad thing? You know, should a person just pick one and stay with it? Or should you try all kinds of things? Now, to me, there are four types of musicians that you run across in bluegrass. With regards to how many different instruments do they play? Now, the first type I call the jack of all trades. And if you listen to the David Ellis interview back a few episodes back, David is one of those guys. I call him the jack of all trades. That is the person that seems to play everything. David just shocks me. There, I know there are things that he plays that I don't even know he plays. But in the bluegrass realm, I could hand him a guitar. He's a good guitar player. Mandolin, fiddle, banjo, dobro, 
I mean, it just, it boggles the mind how somebody can be so good at so many different things. And David is not the only guy. I mean, there's people out there like Josh Williams. There's, uh, think of Mark O'Connor. You know, a lot of people today just think of Mark O'Connor as a fiddle player, but go back and listen to the album Picking in the Wind. And, uh, I mean, listen to him play guitar and mandolin. And, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me what instrument he could play. Okay, so you've got the jack of all trades. And there are benefits to being a jack of all trades. Certainly as a sideman, as let's say you, you just, you're a performer and somebody calls you up and says, hey, I'm looking for a mandolin player. If you can play mandolin competently, that's good for you as a, as you know, in your career as a musician, if you can play more than one thing. So a guy like David Ellis, and I'm using him as, a, as an example because I've seen how David has built a career in the Atlanta area. If somebody needs a banjo player, call David Ellis. Need a fiddle player? Call David Ellis. I've even seen him playing bass. I saw him playing bass. I didn't realize he could actually, I didn't know he was a bass player. So being a jack of all trades can put you on the call list for more people. And we'll come back to jack of all trades uh, in a little bit. But that's the first type. You got the jack of all trades type player. Then you have one I call the closet picker. And that's this person who is primarily known for playing one instrument. But he tinkers around with other instruments. And occasionally might perform with them, but mostly not. Um... I think I I fall into that category. I was primarily known as a mandolin player. 30 years mandolin player. You know, it was Brad Laird and it just attached to my name, mandolin player. Brad Laird, mandolin. A lot of people didn't realize that I also played the banjo. And that I also played guitar. And that I also played dobro. And that I also played bass. And I also played fiddle very poorly. I would never play that in public. But you have people who are well known for one instrument. But a lot of times they they enjoy playing other instruments too. Earl Scruggs is a great example of that. I mean, you hear the name Earl Scruggs, you think of one thing, five-string banjo. But then again, he was a very good guitar player. And oftentimes on the there are some bluegrass gospel quartet type things that that guitar playing that you hear, that's Earl. And a lot of people have imitated his guitar style. Not primarily thought of as a guitar player, but he was really a good guitar player too. And so obviously he enjoyed playing the guitar. Those are what I call the closet picker. That's that person who's primarily known for playing one thing, but he likes to tinker around and play with some other ones. I have a good friend of mine who is a, a wonderful fiddle player by the name of Mike Estes. And for many, many years, I, I never saw him do anything except play his fiddle. If he was there, he was holding a fiddle, playing a fiddle. But when, you know, the more I got to know him and I would hang around his house and I saw he had a mandolin in the corner and 
he could actually play, he, he liked to get that thing out and play tunes on the mandolin. He also played some guitar, but I never saw him perform with it. So he's the closet picker. He's a fiddle player, but he also plays some other things. Then you have the third type, which I, I did, couldn't come up with a good name. I would just call this person the switcher. And that's a person who is primarily known only for playing one instrument. And then suddenly, at some point in their career, they switch and they're playing another thing. And one of the best examples of that is Del McCurry. Just when I say Del McCurry and you picture him, you're going to picture him with a guitar. But if you go back far enough, pre-1963, I believe is the date, if somebody who knew him said Del McCurry, they would think banjo because he was a banjo player. I, and if I've got the story straight, he was hired by Bill Monroe to be the banjo player for the Bluegrass Boys. And at about the same time, Bill Keith came on the scene, who was a banjo player, and Del McCurry switched to guitar and has been there pretty much ever since. And you've seen this in uh, some certain sports stars. I'm not a huge sports fan. In fact, I'm not really a sports fan at all. But... I can recall, you know, like Michael Jordan suddenly becoming a baseball player, you know, <laughs> go from basketball to baseball. This kind of thing happens. I remember um, another example of this is a fiddle player by the name of Tater Tate. Sometimes he's a fiddle player and other times he's a bass player. Now, I don't know what else he can play. It wouldn't surprise me if he's also a banjo player, a mandolin player. Who knows? But I remember Tater Tate seeing Tater Tate play bass with Bill Monroe. But I also recall uh, him playing fiddle with Bill Monroe. So sometimes you have these people that are switchers. I have a good friend of mine in, it, in the Atlanta area by the name of Tony Duck. And I've known Tony for 40 years, and I just think of Tony as a mandolin player. And he's a great mandolin player. And he also plays a flat iron uh, Bozeman made flat iron. He bought one just about six months or three months before I got mine. And we bought it from the same store. So he's also a flat iron mantle player. Great mantle player. I had no idea that he was secretly practicing the fiddle. He would never play the fiddle in public. And word got around that he was messing around with the fiddle. But I'm talking about for 20 years, all I ever saw him play was the mandolin. Awesome mandolin player. He would not get that fiddle out. But then he started showing up sometimes with a fiddle. And he just, he just practiced it almost in secret. Okay, so now I think of him as a fiddle player and also as a mandolin player. He, uh, he can switch. And uh, I think there's probably a lot of people now that just think of him as a fiddle player. But here's something about Tony Duck. He's also a closet picker. I've heard through the grapevine, several people have told me, oh, you ought to hear Tony play the banjo. Blow your mind. I'm like, I didn't know he played the banjo. I, I've known the guy for 40 years. I've never seen him hold a banjo. I've never seen him play a single note on it. But the word is 
He's a really good banjo player. So Tony is one of those guys. He's a kind of a crossover between the closet picker, who primarily does one thing but tinkers with a few others, or the switcher, where he's primarily known as the mandolin player, then, whoa, what happened? Now he's a fiddle player. And, you know, when you learn one instrument well, you're learning a lot of things like timing, like dynamics, uh, you know, phrasing. You learn those things which you can then apply to the next instrument that suits your fancy and you decide to play. So it's it's always easier for a for a person who is a already pretty good at one instrument to pick up another instrument and try that. Then the fourth type is what I call the specialist. And those are those people who seem to only play just one thing. Now, I played for many years and I, I still occasionally get together with this fella, Buddy Ashmore. I've never seen him play anything but his guitar. That's it. It's Buddy and a guitar. It would seem really, really weird to, you know, like walk up to a jam session and see him sitting there holding anything but that guitar. He is a specialist. And, you know, sometimes you're wrong. You know, you might be surprised that he might have a mandolin at home that you don't know about. He could be one of those closet pickers. But there are those players who just, they got one thing, that's what they play, and they stick with it. So let me review those four types. You got the jack of all trades who plays everything. You got the closet picker who plays one thing, but he tinkers around with a few others. Then you've got the switcher who plays one thing for a long time, and then he just switches and now he plays something else from then on. And then you've got the specialist, that person that just plays one thing. Now there are pros and cons to all of these things. And you can figure out what they are. Obviously, the jack-of-all-trades, he can be handier. You know, if I need a fiddle player and he also plays fiddle, I can say, hey, Dave, you know, can you come play fiddle? And, you know, if suddenly we need a bass player, he can be the bass player, and so on. Jack-of-all-trades is good for business if you're trying to get gigs. Uh, the closet picker, uh, you know, I, I think that is probably one of the best types. That's a person who primarily plays one thing. And, and by playing one thing and sticking with it, you get better at it. But by tinkering with the other instruments, you learn about the other instruments. So you have a better understanding of your fellow musicians. And the switcher, you know, I just feel like they represent that type that I can't find any fault with that. If a guy wants to play the dobro for 25 years, and then suddenly he just wants to be a banjo player. Hey, great. You should do what you want to do. I've said this over and over and over. Don't do what somebody else wants you to do. I mean, sometimes you have to. Sometimes you're trying to pay the bills. <laughs> Although, frankly, that's kind of laughable in bluegrass, but it does occur. And, and then, of course, so the value in being a switcher is you're doing what you want to do. And that's always a good thing within some small limits. Then the specialist. So what's the advantage of being the specialist? 
Uh, David Ellis and I have talked about this many times, driving, you know, traveling down the road, coming to and from a gig or something, having these long conversations. And several times over the many years that I've known him, I've said, you know what, David, giving him unwanted advice. I'd say, you know, David, you're a great banjo player. You're a great guitar player. You're a great mandolin player. You're great. I said, David, just imagine how good you would be if you only played one instrument. Now, I'm not sure that I'm correct about that. Maybe he's good because he plays a lot of instruments, and so he can apply banjo thinking to his dobro playing. He can apply dobro thinking to his mandolin playing. You know, maybe I'm wrong about this. But I, I, I suggested to him one time while we were riding along, I said, David, if you were forced to just choose only one instrument, if you had to throw everything else away and pick one, what would it be? And he really, really had a hard time. In fact, I don't think he ever told me. Because he likes playing them all. So what's wrong with that? But I, I was still trying to uh, suggest to him the concept that, hey, David, if all those hours you spend over there playing those fingerstyle guitar solos, what if you just put that, put all your energy into the banjo? You know, I, I would just guess you would turn out to be like one of the world's greatest banjo players. So sometimes... In my opinion, you could look at it this way. You need to focus. You need to focus. If you want to get really good at something, I mean really good, you need to focus on that instrument until you can really play it. But of course, that doesn't mean you can't play other things or switch. I mean, I'm not here today to tell you what to do. But sort of, here, here's my bottom line. For beginners... And let me tell you about a kid named Adam that takes lessons from me. Adam came along and wanted to take mandolin lessons. And I, you know, talked to his dad and his grandparents and so forth. And they got him a mandolin and we got started doing mandolin lessons. Well, sometimes at lessons I would show up with a guitar in my hand and sometimes a banjo because I wanted to get him, I was doing different things, uh, so I would have all these instruments laying around. Sometimes I'd play mandolin with them. Sometimes I'd grab a guitar. So you're seeing all this stuff. And he would then become interested in playing guitar. In fact, I remember a couple of lessons he showed up with a mandolin and a guitar in his hand. He brought an electric guitar one time. He, he really, you know, wants to play everything. But his, his dad, and, you know, I understand this way of thinking, uh, you know, would say, well, well, Adam, you know, you need to stick with the mandolin when you can show me that you, you know, you've made good progress and you've learned to play the mandolin pretty well. Then we'll talk about another instrument because he got the bug to play the fiddle and also the guitar. And, you know, just have to think about it from the parent's perspective, you know, Hey, I just dropped 250 bucks on this mandolin. I've been paying for all these lessons. And now you want to switch and suddenly become a fiddle player. You know, so it's a dilemma for the parents. Because, uh, you know, because of the costs and so forth. So I understand their side of it. But on the other hand, too, I think it's really important that beginners do 
hop around and find find the thing that you really love and and also find the thing that you seem to be best at. You know, when I started out, I, I tried all kind of stuff. I actually started out, uh, I, I've said in a previous podcast that I started out, you know, just enthralled with a banjo, but actually there was about a three-month period before that that it was the fiddle. And I borrowed a fiddle from a friend of my brother's, uh, you know, a guy in, in high school. He knew a guy that had a fiddle, and I borrowed it. And so I spent about three months sawing away, <laughs> trying to play Boiling Cabbage Down and Old Joe Clark and stuff like that on this borrowed fiddle. Hadn't really got the banjo bug yet. Then my brother comes to me and says, Hey, you know that guy, uh, Shane, that uh, you got his fiddle? Well, he's moving. He needs his fiddle back. And I was just like crushed. Oh, man. Because I didn't have the money to go buy a fiddle. Had to give the guy back the fiddle. And in the meantime, it didn't have a case. And I had also built a case for it. I made this plywood box with hinges and latches and lined it with foam and and this nice green velvet that I found in my mother's sewing room. She probably made my sisters like matching Christmas dresses one year or something. And there was this leftover green velvet and that became the lining. I, I made this beautiful, well, beautiful, I made a case. And I remember I covered it the outside with this walnut-looking contact paper. I used to be able to buy these rolls of this self-adhesive papery vinyl stuff. My mother used to line the drawers of the kitchen with it. You'd open the drawers and there would be this contact paper stuck in the bottom. It'd be, you know, polka dots or flowers or stripes. But they also sold it in walnut grain. And I, I remember covering that fiddle case in that walnut grain contact paper. Anyway, I had to hike up the hill to the this guy Shane's house and give him back the fiddle right before he moved. And, you know, I showed him the case and everything. And I said, you can just keep the case. So he's got the case. So then I was, now what? And I switched gears to banjo. I can make a banjo and I built a banjo. So I went from fiddle to banjo. Then it wasn't very long. You know, I was saving up my money. I had bought a banjo from the Penny's catalog. And then I bought a mandolin, a little cheap, $50 mandolin from the Penny's catalog, found me a guitar at a yard sale, you know, looking for a bass. I, I just wanted to play everything. And I think that's good because if you don't try something, you know, it, it could be that I want to be a fiddle player and I'm trying to play the fiddle, but maybe I would be a much better mandolin player. This actually happened to me. At the at one of the very first bluegrass festivals I went to, it was actually the Marietta Bluegrass Festival. It wasn't the same one uh, the same year, but it was like the next year or maybe two years later. I would throw a bunch of instruments in the car and go. And I was there, and there was this fellow I've, I've talked about several times, this fiddle player, Mike Estes, very good fiddle player. He was really into Kenny Baker at that time. Well... I pulled my fiddle out. We're, we're jamming, standing around, picking and jamming and stuff. And I'd been playing mail, but I wanted to get my fiddle out and try it. And I got it out, and I played a couple of tunes, Soldier's Joy or something like that. And I remember Mike, he, he said, hey, Brad, really, I don't mean anything negative by this, but really, Brad, you ought to stick with the mandolin. 
you're so much better on the mandolin. You know, I really think you should stick with the mandolin. <laughs> it was kind of funny. He, he could tell that I wasn't a natural-born fiddle player. However, on the other side of the coin, sometimes people are wrong. Sometimes they just want you to play the thing that you're currently better at. Let's say you're a really good banjo player, but you're trying to learn the dobro. And you keep pulling that dobro out, and everybody keeps telling you, Oh, hey, Brad, get your banjo. Brad, get your banjo. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes they're right. They just know. And sometimes they're wrong, and they just want you to play the thing that you're presently better at. So take other people's opinions with a grain of salt. Bottom line, you should definitely do what you want to do. Okay, so beginners, I really suggest hop around. Don't spend too much money on your instruments in those early stages because, you know, if you buy a $3,000 mandolin and suddenly want to be a banjo player, you've wasted a lot of money. You know, get some beginner-level instruments, try a whole bunch of stuff, and find the thing that you love the most. Then, for people in the middle who've been playing a few years and now they're at the point where they're really beginning to develop as a, as a musician. That's the time period when I think it's really important to stick to one thing. Because if you're going to master something at whatever level, sticking with it and not being distracted, not trying to learn five things at once is probably going to help you technically become more proficient on your instrument. So if you kind of once you've sort of selected the thing and the thing that moves you and the thing that you seem to jive with, at that point, I really say spend five years just really trying to get good at that one thing. Then I think it's also important to uh, consider your own goals. You know, my goal when I started is I wanted to be in a bluegrass band. And frankly, I didn't really care what instrument I played because basically I wasn't any good at any of them. And so I figured I could learn any of them. <laughs> I don't think that was true about the fiddle. I, I don't know that I would, I would love to be a fiddle player. God, if I could just do one thing, I'd love to be a fiddle player or maybe a pedal steel player. But I found that for me, it just felt funny. I, I my left arm always felt weird holding a fiddle. So I just don't think I was built to be a fiddle player. Though I do love the fiddle. But being able to jump around to different instruments helped me find the thing that would carry me, you know, for 35, 40 years of performing. And Lord knows I've had a lot of fun playing. I mean, thousands of gigs. It's, 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 and to be a nobody and play that many times. And for those kind of audiences, we've done, as far as a, you know, a local or regional group, We've, we've gone, you know, about as far as a person can go that way. And I've had so much fun doing it. And it was the mandolin. It wasn't my first choice. It wasn't even my second choice. But that was the ticket. And the better I got at the mandolin, the more I enjoyed it. So think about your goals. If your goal is to just be in a band, well, try out a lot of things. If your goal, on the other hand, is to become the world's greatest banjo player, well, you probably ought to stick with a banjo. And then the final thing I would say is that, and this is on the side of learning to play other instruments, is that even just by tinkering around with other instruments, maybe you just own it and you've made a few notes on it, just having a fiddle and trying to play fiddle 
will help you understand the other musicians that you play with. Because, uh, you know, let's say a banjo player and he slaps his capo on the third fret and he's going to kick something off in B-flat. If he has ever tried to play a fiddle in B-flat, he might understand why that guy standing there, who's only been playing the fiddle a year, might prefer to be an A, you know, or D. So, you know, that sort of understanding, just understanding what goes into playing the other instruments will help you be a better group player. It won't necessarily help you play your instrument better, but it'll help you understand the whole thing. And just remember, bluegrass is a team sport. So having a little familiarity with what the other musicians are doing will help the overall effort. It also helps in a second way, which I mentioned with David Ellis when I was talking about David, is that, you know, things, musical ideas and techniques can be transferred from one instrument to the other. I've seen a many a dobro player or banjo player. I've seen a lot of banjo players could pick up a dobro and fumble their way through some stuff because it's tuned very similar to a banjo. They're playing it with three picks and they can play their banjo rolls and you hear a lot of dobro players who sound very banjo-like. And, you know, sometimes that was done. I mean, Josh Josh Graves, when he, you know, would play those Earl Scruggs instrumentals, he was in many ways mimicking what Earl was doing on the banjo. But on the other hand, Josh had all kind of other stuff, too. He had, you know, this very bluesy, I mean, stuff that, you know, didn't transfer direct, obviously didn't come from thinking like a banjo. But what I'm saying is by having familiarity with the other instruments, you understand them better and what they're trying to do. And sometimes you can grasp musical techniques and just transfer them from instrument to instrument. Uh, Same is true for guitar. I mean, the second, third, and fourth string of a guitar are tuned exactly like the second, third, and fourth string of a banjo. So, like, if a banjo player happens to be playing a guitar and flat-picking away, all of a sudden, you know, he'll figure out that, hey, I, I, I can do pretty much the same thing I do on the banjo over here on the guitar. So I think it's good. I think it's good to switch and jump around. And if you want a little taste of some of the instruments, here comes my shameless plug. Uh, hop over to my site, bradleylaird.com. I've got some free lessons up there for guitar, for mandolin, for bluegrass banjo, for claw hammer banjo, and even the dulcimer. I fiddle around with the dulcimer a little bit. I don't have any fiddle stuff up there. I am working on a bass instruction course that I've had in the works here for a couple of years because I've been one of those switchers. I played mandolin for, I was in Cedar Hill 27 years, and... Uh, when I moved down here to Americus, I didn't have anybody to play the mandolin with. And so I sat around the house just plunking on the banjo. And I took up, well, I'd been playing bass for many, many years. But when I got down here, uh, I found a couple of guys and we started a little trio and I'm the bass player. So I'm primarily playing the bass these days. And I also uh, just recently took up the dobro. And having a blast with that. I, the only time I play it is I go to a weekly jam session on Tuesday nights and I play the dobro. 
So I'm, I'm learning how to learn again. Anyway, my advice is try a lot of different things. Now we'll plug one, one item that I sell. And I think it's funny sometimes when I, some of the things that I've poured the most energy into, and I think is just the world's greatest ebook or concept or whatever, it might turn out to be the absolute worst seller. And this is an example of it. It's something I call the bluegrass family band songbook. And it is hands down the worst selling ebook publication I've ever done. I, I think I might've sold four or five of these in the two years it's been out. But, but strangely, I love it because it is something that I think for certain people, might just be the best thing they ever ran across. And, and let me describe it to you real quick. And I'll put a link on the show notes page for this episode. Just go to episode 14, grasstalkradio.com. Go down to episode 14, click that, and you'll see the show notes for this page or for this episode. And on there, I'll, I'll put a link to the Bluegrass Family Band, band songbook, My Worst Seller. Uh, but here's what it is. I would have people come to me for lessons. And at one time, I had a whole family. Uh, you know, they were homeschoolers and whatnot. Dad played the mandolin. I knew him as a mandolin player. Mom was learning the guitar. One of the daughters was taking violin lessons or fiddle lessons from someone else. Uh, one of the girls uh, was going to learn to play the banjo, and one of them was going to learn to play the bass. And the idea was they could all play together. The problem I had was, you know, uh, the banjo, like the beginner material that I typically taught from, I had, you know, the banjo player playing Cripple Creek and Boiling Cabbage Down, key of G. Well, the fiddle player was learning Star of the County Down from the fiddle player, fiddle teacher. And it, it, the problem was I, I didn't have the same songs in the same keys for all the instruments. So I began to just write arrangements for them. And I would write out a fiddle part and say, take this to your fiddle player and have her teach you how to play this in this key. And then we'll all get together. And, you know, So sometimes they would take individual lessons and sometimes they would come as a group and we'd all try to play together. So I was trying to come up with 10 songs that they could all play together. Now, after I moved, this stuff was just laying around, and I thought, you know what? This could be valuable to somebody. So I put it together. It's called the Bluegrass Family Band Songbook. Uh, worst title of a book ever, and certainly my worst seller. But what's in it are 10 easy banjo solos, 10 beginner-level mandolin solos, same tunes for fiddle, same tablature and notation for the bass and the guitar. So you got all five basic bluegrass instruments, five basic song, I'm sorry, 10 basic songs, all in the same, written in the same keys. And I included the lyrics, lead sheets, and there's also a section in there where I described the basics of how to sing bluegrass harmony, how to do duets and how to do trios and how all that works. And I use one of the songs in the book as an example. And I write out 
the lead part, the tenor part, and the baritone part, and I try to explain it all. So if if nothing else, it's it's worth uh, getting if you want to study up on how to sing bluegrass harmony and not be uh, the Unison Valley Boys that I see here and there. Anyway, that's my plug for my worst seller. Maybe I'll sell one. <laughs> the Bluegrass Family Band Songbook. Have fun with it. And if you want to tinker around with a different instrument, hop over to my site, bradleylaird.com, and try out something new. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got some good stuff coming up here in the next episodes, the next couple of episodes. So stick with me and don't forget to uh, hop over to iTunes and rate and review the show. The more of those five-star ratings I get, the higher up I'll come up in the search results, and that'll help more people find this and we'll create more bluegrass pickers in the world. And hey, we're all for that. So take care and I'll talk to you in the next episode.